Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's this week's podcast. What's up, church? You guys doing good? I can tell you really uh, were singing it out and engaged in worship. I'm so glad you are here. If you are a guest, my name is Benji. I get the unbelievable privilege of serving this community of faith as one of the pastors here and just honored that you would come and be here with us today. Pray that you are blessed. We are, um, I was about to say in the middle, but we're really not in the middle anymore. We're towards the back end of a series called What Church? The story, and if you are a guest and you go to the Next Steps room today, uh, which is right out those doors on the right-hand side or at all of our campuses, there's a room. We are going to give you a free copy of this book. We would love for you to join us for the last five or six weeks as we make our way through the New Testament. It's a gorgeous day out there, is it not? People ask me sometimes, why do y'all do baptisms in October? Because God historically has given us days just like this in October and in November. God is good all the time. Hey, 3 o'clock today, you don't want to miss it. 3 o'clock today, we're having a baptism celebration. I know you've already heard about it, but I just want to say you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. The fair has nothing on us. Cattle corn, popcorn, petting zoo. Um, I, I hear there might be some animals, and I'm just hoping somebody uh, is bringing back the goat and the lamb from last week. Right? Y'all remember that? If you weren't here last week, it stinks to be you. You shouldn't miss church. I was a bringer last week. I brought two, two things with me. I was about to say two people, but not people. I brought a goat. Y'all remember the goat's name? Renegade! Renegade was awesome. And then I had a lamb. Y'all remember the lamb's name? Sugar Bell? I think it was Sweet Bell. Sweet Bell. And then I called it Sugar Bell. Then I called it Annabelle. And then I went and ate some Blue Bell ice cream. Glory, hallelujah. It was a great, great day. And um, last week, as we looked at the cross, I asked you this question what does it mean? What does the cross mean? And if you missed it, it's in the resource center. I'm not going to unpack that anymore, but I do want to start the same way. I want to ask you this question today. As you look at the claim, because some of you might not even believe it, as you look at the claim of the empty tomb, what does it mean? What does the empty tomb mean to us. What blows my mind when I read the New Testament is that even though Jesus Christ has said over and over and over, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die for you, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to raise to new life. Even though he said that over and over and over, the disciples didn't get it. I mean, it's not like they went to the tomb Easter Sunday morning, held hands, sang kumbaya, and did a countdown from 10. He's going to raise, y'all. He's going to raise 10, 9, Hey, could you imagine? Six. I just skipped seven. Five. Four. They, they didn't do that. They were as clueless as you and I would be. What did it mean? What does it mean? Because I wanted to start out of the gate right here from the beginning and let you know that it is the empty tomb that is the foundation of our Christian faith. Without the empty 
tomb, we should close the doors right now. And speaking of the fair, we should go to the fair and eat a fried Snickers. What are they doing this year? I haven't been. What are they doing? Fried Jello. That's nasty. Fried Jello. Yuck. But we should go eat something at the fair and do some rides and put our lives at risk. And this is not just me. This is what Scripture says. Come on, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. You're still with me. Let's read it out loud. Verse 17, ready? Go. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is, and you are still guilty of your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your faith and my faith is what? Useless. And we are still dead in our sins. But the resurrection, everybody say resurrection. resurrection. The resurrection is the very foundation of our faith. Without it, the Bible says we should be pitied among all people. Now, it's important to understand that some of you are here, and you grew up in the church, man, and you don't even think twice about the resurrection. You believe it. You've been believing it a long time. It's nothing to you. But I would let you know that there are people sitting around you today, they aren't even sure they believe it. And I would say to you, if you're here today and you're not sure you believe the resurrection, you're just a little skeptical, you're a little jaded, I would want to say to you, welcome. Like, we are so glad that you are here. And I would also want to let you know, do your homework, do your research, and what you will find is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historically verifiable. Even the scholars of that day, the, the non-believers of that day would testify that Jesus Christ was crucified. And after that, there was no body to be found. You see, the difference between Jesus and every other world religious leader is that you can go to where they are buried and you will find bones. Come on now. You will find bones but if you go to Israel and I hope you'll go with me one year and you hire a guide who will take you to the outskirts of Jerusalem and show you the historical identifiable location of Jesus's burial you will not find any bones because he is alive alive evermore come on somebody the basics of christianity is that he was alive then he was dead and then he was alive again just think about the world religious leaders that we know think about buddha any buddhist here we're even glad you're here i pray you'll come to faith in christ by the time this service is over can i get an amen, amen. look at buddha Inspired Buddhism, died of natural causes at the age of 83. He's buried in Nepal. You could go there today and guess what you're going to find? Them dry bones. <laughs> hey, I want to warn you before you look at this next guy. This is a little freaky. This is almost like the clowns that have been showing up all over America. Um, you heard it here first. Some clown's going to get shot. Some, some crazy clown jump out in front of the wrong person. I, I digress. This guy, you, you can go online and there's pages upon pages of why you can't find a good picture of Muhammad. This was the best we can do. Get ready. This is creepy. Died in 632. 
buried in Medina in Saudi Arabia. Funky, cold Medina. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I don't know where that just came from. I have no idea. <laughs> Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism. Come on, come on, come on. Was killed by a mob in Carthage, Illinois on June 27, 1844. Buried in Illinois. Bones. Charles Russell, founder of Jehovah Witnesses, died on a train of a heart attack in Texas in 1916. Buried today in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Go Steelers. Oh. Keep, keep your yellow towels under wrap. L. Ron Hubbard. You might not recognize that guy. Founder of Scientology. What was that all about? <laughs> hey, Scientologists are welcome here too. I pray you come to know Christ before you leave. Amen. Founder of Scientology, died of a stroke in 1986 and his ashes were scattered in the ocean along the California central coastline. The bottom line is this. You can go to any grave of any founder of any world religion unless they were cremated. You go to their tomb and you will find bones but you go to the outskirts of Jerusalem and you look in the tomb of Jesus which I've done now four times beloved it is empty it is empty he is alive he lived he died and he is alive again now what you need to know again I'm just trying to speak to multiple people here today I want to speak to the believers and I want to speak to the skeptics the doubters who are here what you need to know is that when Jesus died, there were large numbers of people. There was even an entire country and a Roman government who was trying to refute the resurrection of Jesus. And all they needed, all they needed to disclaim Christianity and shut it down just like that was to find a body. And they could not find a body. There were skeptics there, just like there might be skeptics here Today, there was a famous skeptic that I want to talk to you about today. And we all know famous people, right? When I say the first name of famous people, you're probably going to be able to say the second name, right? Right, right? Elvis. Kobe. Oprah. Angelina. I'm kind of bummed out about their divorce, man. I am, I am really. It just saddens me. Hey, here's one you might not get, but you, you might. We're in the Carolinas. Michael! <clears throat> woo, woo, she said. Here's one. Let's go back 2,000 years ago. Doubting. You got it. Doubting Thomas. Thomas, who often takes a hard rap from preachers like me because he doubted. Remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas in the New Testament? He was a skeptic. He, he doubted. But what I want you to do today is think about it from a different perspective. I believe Thomas sometimes takes a hard rap. The truth is Thomas was a friend of Jesus. The truth is Thomas spent three years with Jesus. The truth is Jesus taught Thomas and all the disciples the faith. I mean, could you imagine spending three years with Jesus? Sailing across the sea together. They would break bread and drink wine together. He saw him do all the miracles. And when Jesus was crucified and they slammed that stone across the tomb, Thomas's spirit was crushed. 
Try to step into the shoes of Thomas for a moment. He was saddened. He was crushed. And he was doubtful, like some of you today. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, right? Jesus starts appearing to the disciples. And usually, usually Jesus would say things like, peace be with you. I always thought it would be great if Jesus just busted through one of the walls and said, boo! <laughs> but but, but he, he comes in. And look at this text here in John 20, 19 through 20. You read so well earlier. Let's go. Ready? Go. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. But here's the, here's the bad news for Thomas. He wasn't there. You say, where was he? I don't know. Maybe he was down at the local 7-Eleven. I don't know. But he wasn't there. And so Thomas then shows up on the scene. They're like, Thomas, you're not going to believe what you missed. You missed it. You're not going to believe who showed up. And Thomas is like, who? Pilate? Who showed up? It's a new Jesus. He's alive. And Thomas, Thomas is like, I don't believe it. I, I don't believe it. And Thomas, remember that verse, that great verse of scripture? He said, I'm not going to believe unless I what? See his wounds. But then, he, then Thomas took it to a whole nother level. And he said, I'm not going to believe it until I can put my fingers. Remember? In the wounds, Thomas was a doubter. He was a skeptic. And you know what's fascinating to me about Scripture? Jesus let him doubt. Jesus could have appeared, could he not? Right then and there on the scene and convinced Thomas. But you know what it is? You read the biblical narrative. Jesus gave him a week to wrestle with his doubts. An entire week to struggle. Now, what do you think Thomas was thinking about? I don't know, but I'm venturing to guess Thomas was wrestling with death. I, I'm willing to bet the farm that Thomas was struggling with his own mortality. He was struggling with the fact that his friend, Jesus, was dead. He was struggling with the fact that like you and I, we all have to come to a point at some point in time in our lives where we realize and understand uh, we are all going to die. Welcome to New Hope Church. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> like for real. And some of you have not accepted that yet. I was speaking to a group of pastors not long ago, and they said, because they know I was telling them the history of the church, 14 years old, all that stuff. They said, hey, have you ever had an interim pastor? And in that moment, I can't explain it. I think it was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came over me, and I said, I am the interim pastor. We're all interim. Everyone in here, everyone in here and everyone at every campus and everyone who might be watching this in front of the television screen, wherever you are, we are all terminal. And I have found that human beings usually have one of three ways of dealing with it. Can I talk to you about that today? One of three ways. 
I want to give you a vernacular to work with it. When it comes to death, there's basically three ways of dealing with it. The first one is plan A. Pull out your teaching notes. Plan A. Oh, my, a lot of you are doing this right up in here today. Plan A, you forget it. Everybody, everybody, come on, indulge me for a moment. All the, put your hands over your ears. Put your hands over. And just go, la, 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 <laughs> la. That's what a lot of people do when it comes to death. They just forget it. They go to the movies. They shop too much. They drink too much. They self-medicate. They do whatever they can do to take their mind off of the fact that when they look in the mirror every single day, you're getting closer and closer and closer to being terminal and passing from this world to the next. You, you can forget about it. Here's the second plan. You can fight it. Oh, how many of you fight it? See, the first group, they just forget about it. They don't care. They ignore it. It's always there like that constant perpetual drip. It's always there, but they, they forget it. And there's others of you who fight it. You say, what do you mean? You just fight it. You, you spend four hours a day in the gym. You are chiseled all up. Forget the six-pack. You got an eight-pack. Well, you, you don't eat meat. Praise God for you. There's more for people like me. <laughs> you, you, you don't drink anything bad. You don't eat anything bad. You obsess over making sure your body is as healthy as it can possibly be. Now, let me just say this for the record. Taking care of your body is important. Don't, don't hear me. Don't mishear me today. It's a stewardship issue. I believe it's grounded in Scripture. Your body is the temple. It's, I can get theological with you. Your body is a temple of the Lord, and we are to care for it. But some people, have you ever met that person who is so frightened to die that they don't even enjoy living? Hello. They obsess over physical fitness and health so much so that they end up worshiping their body and their body becomes an idol. Those are the kind of people when they get in the plane, they stick their head around the corner to ask the pilot, are you drunk? Right? They don't, they don't want to die. And nobody should want to die. I don't want to die, right? Speaking of planes, have you ever been in those planes where you pull out the magazines? Maybe it's in other magazines. I don't I only read magazines that I subscribe to, but when I get on a plane, I'm bored. I'll sometimes pull out the magazines. I was in one not long ago, and I, I've seen this picture. Maybe you've seen it. It's, it's a picture of a person, just like I'm describing, and they're guaranteeing perpetual health, right? And it's a picture of a person's face, and that person's face is about 80. But they're on some chiseled body. <laughs> hey, have you seen these? They're like 80, 90 years old. It's, it's, it's creepy. I got a picture for you. I got one. Come on now. I don't know if it's appropriate to have a thong in church. Oh, look at. I'm telling you, this productions team is awesome. Give them some love. Give them some love. But look at that. I know what some of you are thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking. It looks like 
the head of my granddad on the body of Benji. I know you're thinking it. <laughs> How I wish, right? But listen closely to me. Listen, listen, listen. Being healthy is great. Can I get an amen? amen? Most of us, me included, could watch what we eat better and exercise more. Can I get an amen? amen? But being healthy is not going to change the fact that you are going to die. You can be as healthy as you want. These are real stories. These aren't made up. You can be as healthy as you can imagine, eat only the best food and exercise three hours a day. But we live in a broken world where somebody might cross the center line because they drank too much and you're dead. And then there's maybe that little virus. You go on a missions trip. Hello. And a virus gets into your bloodstream. Wasn't your fault. You're super healthy. Dead. Or like, let's keep it real for a moment. Larry Stogner. Let's get really close to New Hope. The dean of journalism. World renowned. Healthy one day. Diagnosed with ALS the next day. Eight months later dead or how about this maybe you know this name maybe you don't most of you you ever heard the name Jim Fix Jim Fix Jim Fix I like to jog I don't jog enough but I love to jog Jim Fix was the founder what they call the founder of modern day jogging you ever heard his name <laughs> Jim Fix <laughs> can't hardly say it with a straight face Died while jogging. You ever heard that song? I, I, don't even, I, I won't be able to remember who it's by. Isn't it ironic? Yeah. Don't you think? A little ironic, right? We live in a sin-scarred, broken world. And plan B is to fight the fact that every single person in here is terminal. And the sooner you come to grips with it, the better you're going to be able to live your one and only life. The sooner you learn to live at peace with the fact that every single day is a gift from Almighty God. And every breath you breathe is a gift from God. And if He didn't see fit to wake you up today and breathe into you the breath of life, you would be done. Young people, man, you have a big proclivity to stiff arm this and just deny it and ignore it. The sooner you come to terms with it, the more you're going to be able to enjoy and live the one and only life that God has so graciously given you. You know, the Bible teaches us to think like this, but again, sometimes we stiff arm it. Look at this great verse in James 4.14. Out loud. Go, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then. <whistles> then there's plan C. Come on. Deal with it. I don't mean that sarcastically. Like for real. Deal with it. 
And when I say deal with it, I'm talking about the way in which doubting Thomas eventually dealt with it. John 20, 28, out loud, you're reading scripture so well today. Ready, go. Thomas said to him, one more time, Thomas said to him, he just, after dealing with it for a week, after doubting, after wrestling with his own mere mortality, Thomas just said, my Lord. Look how personal it is. My God. And he dealt with his mortality and he accepted the only solution to the problem of death. Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Because you have seen me, old doubting Thomas, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hey, if you're a believer here, that's about you. You're blessed, Thomas, because you believe. You've seen me. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. I know I've given you some bad news today. I've given you some news that some of you try to fight or some of you try to forget, but I also want to give you some good news today. You are blessed. Amen? You are blessed. Even more blessed if you believe today in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls you blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, you're blessed. Good job. You did better than I thought you would. Now look at the person on the other side that you were avoiding and tell them they're blessed. There you go. Give them some love. You might be the only person that tells them they're blessed. You know what blows my mind when I read the Bible? Is that after Jesus was crucified, the disciples started to disband. The movement was dying. It was petering out. And... Um, all of a sudden, they started to see Jesus, and they started to, to witness the resurrection, and the movement came back together. It coalesced again under its leader and the vision of the church. And now for 2,000 years, it's been marching on really, really strong. And so again, if you're a skeptic or a doubter here today, you need to know that they visibly saw Jesus, a tax collector by the name of Matthew spoke to him after the resurrection, and then wrote about it. A fisherman by the name of Peter had breakfast with him on the Sea of Galilee. Thank God for sushi. <laughs> Jesus' own brother James, who was not a believer during Jesus' life, but later became a follower of Christ after the resurrection. I think of a Greek physician by the name of Luke who eventually wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. A very educated, trained physician saw Jesus and the power of the resurrection and it changed him. I think about Paul, a radical fundamentalist who was persecuting and killing Christians after the resurrected Christ appeared to him, he became a radical follower of Christ and wrote the majority 
of the New Testament. And again, some of you might be here and you're like, well, that's only like 10 to 12 people. They could have made that story up. Look at what 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 6 says. Ready? Go. For what I received, I passed on to you as of? As of what, church? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Appeared to how many? Over 500 people. What plan are you engaged in? Fighting it, forgetting it, or have you dealt with it? Because I want to tell you something. I want to tell you what I firmly believe. Might be the most important thing I say to you today. So lean in. A hundred years from now, what's really going to matter about your life is what you did with, what you felt about, whether or not you believed in the resurrection of Jesus. The most important thing 100 years from now is whether or not you believed in Jesus and his resurrection. Think about that for a moment. And oh my, do I love just the the holy hush that's in the room right now. A hundred years from now. I would assume everybody in this room and at all of our campuses, we will not be here. I know we're we're lengthening our lives, but I don't think we're going to lengthen them that much. One hundred years from now, I hate to break it to you, you and I are going to be gone. And we're going to be spending eternity somewhere. There is an eternity. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And real people go there. And 100 years from now, the only thing that will really matter is not who you date. And young person, it's important who you date. Oh my. When you date somebody, make sure that's a candidate for marriage. If it's not, hasta la vista, baby. Okay? I didn't expect that. Okay, note to self. Dating and marriage series coming in 2017. In 100 years, it's not going to matter what college you went to. And your college of choice is an important decision. Your marriage is an important decision. What you do for a living is important. But 100 years from now, those things won't matter. What will matter 100 years from now is whether or not you believed in Jesus and his resurrection. Because that will be what determines your eternal destiny. Romans 10, 9 out loud like it's the word of God ready Go, if you declare with your Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, 
you will be saved. You'll be what? Three takeaway questions and I'm done. I'm just trying to speak to the believers and the skeptics today. I'm so glad you're here if you're not even sure what you believe. But I believe today could be a defining moment for you. Three questions and I'm done. When did you believe in the event of the resurrection? Like when did you believe? For real. For me, and I said this in the first service and I didn't even realize that it's my anniversary. For me, it was October 23rd, 1988. Duh, that's today. Like, like I said that in the first service and I went into the rotunda and everybody was going, happy birthday, happy birthday. I'm like, what is your problem? It's not my birthday. They go, no, no, it's October 23rd. It's your spiritual birthday. And I'm like, oh. When did you believe in the event of the resurrection. Do you have a date? Maybe it was a season. Maybe you grew up in the church and the church worked for you. And you can't ever actually remember a day when you didn't believe. Praise God for that. Amen. But I would say to you when it comes to the belief, you better be careful. Did you know that James chapter 2 says even the demons believe? Be very careful with I believe. I'm glad you believe. But here's the second question I would ask you. When did you accept the event of the resurrection? Not just believe it. When did you accept the event of the resurrection? When did you have a moment like Thomas where in front of God and in front of others you confess, Oh my Lord, Jesus, I not only believe, the demons believe too, but I accept. I, I receive the gift of pardon. The gift of forgiveness of sins. The gift of eternal life. See, if I give you a gift for Christmas, okay, if you come up here at Christmas time and I give you a gift, you got two choices. You can just drop that thing, leave it on the floor, say, forget you, Pastor, I don't want your gift. Or you can receive it. And to receive it, you've got to take it in. You've got to open it up. You've got to treasure it and receive the pardon that God is providing for you today. Let me tell you about a man by the name of George Wilson. George Wilson of yesteryear, I'm talking about 1830s. George Wilson and his buddies, his cromies, if you will, decided they were going to rob a U.S. mail envoy. And they did. But in the midst of it, it kind of went down, if you know what I mean. There were skirmishes and fights, and people ended up dead. George Wilson and his buddies were arrested and convicted guilty. George Wilson had a lot of very important friends and family members. And so they decided to appeal it over and over and over. George Wilson was given the death penalty, death row. They kept trying over and over and over. And finally, President Andrew Jackson gave George Wilson a pardon. But interestingly enough, George Wilson, who had spent all those years in jail, decided he was going to refuse the pardon. And so that sent everybody in the community. In can, you, can you actually, can you resist a presidential pardon? 
can you? So, so they had another court. <laughs> they had another trial to determine whether or not a human being could resist or deny a presidential pardon. After that trial, they concluded, yes, yes, you can deny a presidential pardon. And there they put George Wilson to death. To which some of you would say, Pastor, thank you for such an uplifting story. <laughs> Come on. It's no less tragic, is it not? Than some of you who are here today who have been completely pardoned by Almighty God. He has come to completely set you free from your sin debt to secure your eternity in heaven forever and you are stiff arming and denying the gracious pardon of Almighty God. I pray that changes today. Which is the third and final question I'm going to ask you. When did you share the event of the resurrection? When did you what? So the first one I would ask you is when did you what? What's the first one? Be careful with belief though. The second one, when did you what? When did you accept when was your spiritual birthday when you, like Thomas, said, my Lord and my God, and you, you accepted the event of the resurrection? The last and final question I'm going to ask you today is, when did you share it? Have you shared it? To which I want to end today with just two quick ways in which you can share your faith. Number one. Get baptized today at 3 p.m. Have you been baptized as a believer? If so, praise God for you. Have you, have you had a meaning? I'm not talking about when your grandma or your granddaddy brought you before some church one day and they, they put a little water on your forehead and everybody celebrated and you said, I baptized. You got a little certificate to prove it. That's not believer's baptism. When did you go into the waters of baptism, the powerful demonstration, the biblical analogy here of being dead to your sin, dead to yourself, let somebody dunk you into the waters of baptism, lift you up out of the waters of baptism. Think about the imagery again. You're being raised to new life. Baptism is a public profession of your faith. You are saying to the world, remember Matthew 10, I think we looked at it earlier, if you acknowledge me, before people on earth. Jesus said, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you disown me before people on earth, you will, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. Baptism is one of the most powerful and should be one of the initial ways in which believers share their faith to the world and everybody who gathers around you today. Have you been baptized to declare and publicly profess your faith in Christ. Today at 3 o'clock, meet me at the pool and we will baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. You might be like, well, I don't swim. You're not going to believe this. 
I'm batting a thousand. I've never lost anybody in the pool. <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, up you come. Unless I know a lot about your life and I just want to hold you down a little bit longer. <laughs> wash it off a little bit more and raise you up. Today, 3 o'clock. And everybody else, I invite you out to enjoy the festivities and the fun and to gather around men and women who say, I'm tired of being ashamed of the gospel. Come on out. The second thing is going to be painstakingly simple, but so many of us refuse to do it. At every single campus, we have these invest and invite cards. Have you seen these around? These are golden. And they're going to show you a slide that just kind of shows you, but it's a simple card. On one side it says, because you matter to us. And it's got hashtag finding hope and New Hope Church, and it doesn't have it because it, all the backsides are different. But if you turn it over, depending on what campus you go to, there is a map to your campus location. We've been doing this for 14 years, and it works. I'm not convinced it ever really worked for some preacher to sit out there on a corner with a big black Bible and tell people they're going to hell. How effective is that? Here's what's effective. When believers carry a simple little card, ladies, put this in your pocketbook. Men, put them in your money clip or your wallets. I keep some in my car. Have, I keep these in my book bag. Have these. And whenever you're around somebody or you strike up a conversation or you're in the grocery store or you're at the mall or the post office or you're at the colleague workspace, whatever it is, and you just start talking and the Spirit of God moves you, new hopers who get this vision take out a card and say, hey, We'd love to have you join us at New Hope Church. Now, come on. Can everybody do that or what? We've never asked you to go get on a street corner and beat a Bible. We've never even asked you to lead someone to faith in Christ. Though if you can, you should. But a small percentage of you have that gift of evangelism. But every single person, young, old, black, White, brown, rich, middle class, poor, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. Everybody can say, man, we got a great church. And we'd love to have you come join us. And you hand it to them. And guess what? They got two choices. Crazy Christians. Don't take that personal. They're not saying no to you. They're saying no to God. Or, and this is what usually happens. They take that card. They stick it in their pocket. They put it in their wallet. They put it in their car. They throw it on an end table. And sometime in the future, sometimes it's the very next week. Like it was a few weeks ago. I told you about the guy from Bonefish who showed up. Sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's two weeks, sometimes it's two months, sometimes it's two years. I've seen people come up to church holding stuff that we gave away two years ago. But when the Spirit of God moves and they hit a place where they need God, they'll find that card you handed them. Now come on, just play it on out with me. And they'll show up at New Hope Church one day, some campus. And they'll realize very quickly, this ain't my mama's church. 
and they'll be excited. They will experience Christianity that's not boring or irrelevant. Worship is going on. Then some teacher will get up here and preach the gospel and do what man cannot do and start to move. And before you know it, someone will come to faith in Christ or rededicate their lives to Christ or find the answer to their marriage problems or their addictions or their parenting problems. Whatever the case may be, the Spirit of God moves in our campuses and heaven is populated and we make it hard to go to hell anywhere around a New Hope campus. Come on, somebody. Everybody can do this. So if you don't have these cards, grab you some on the way out. And when you run out, guess what? Next Sunday there'll be more. And you just keep handing these out. On the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. It was a resurrection meal, if you will. He said, my body is going to be broken, bruised, and beaten for you. Then when the supper was over, he took the cup. Cup of the new covenant. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He said, take, drink, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. Pray with me. Father God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this sacrament of holy communion. Draw near to us, God, as we draw near to you. Manifest yourself in the taking and the receiving of a piece of bread and a cup of juice. God, I pray that this sacramental meal today will be a time and a place and a space for the believers who are in the house to celebrate the great gift of Jesus, the great Eucharistic gift from you, Almighty God, that they would be infused with greater faith and hope and purpose. And they would continue to revel in the forgiveness of a sin debt, oh God, that we could not pay. But Father, for the doubters among us today, those who would, if they were honest with themselves, would be in the company of doubting Thomas. Almighty God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to them right now. God, I pray that this sacrament would be a converting sacrament. That even as they take into their bodies a piece of bread and some juice. God, that their prayer would be that of Thomas. Oh, my Lord and my God. And in doing so, Lord, would they receive you today as the only real answer to the problem of death, the only real answer to the problem of sin, and that they would leave here, oh God, free, freed by the grace of your Son, Jesus, freed to follow you, Lord God, even into the waters of baptism and wherever you will lead for the rest of their lives.
So God, as a community of faith, we gather. We gather as your people new hope around this table. We humble ourselves. The Bible says to examine yourself. So Lord, we do a soul examination. We do a body examination. We do a lifestyle examination. Where there is sin, Lord God, we confess in this moment. Confess your sins to God. Tell Him you're sorry. Plead the blood of Jesus. Lord God, we not only confess that can be as thin as believing alone. So we not only confess, but we repent at this table. We turn from our sins towards you and you alone. Thank you for holy space. Thank you for the sacrament of holy communion. We receive in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the people of God said together, amen. So here's how we're going to do this. And please stay put. This is holy ground. The ushers are going to bring out a piece of bread and a cup. Stay seated. We're going to hold the elements. Don't, don't receive them right away. We're going to hold them, and we're going to sing a verse and a chorus of that great song, This I Believe. Very powerful, theological, hymn-esque song. After that, I'm going to come out, and all the campus pastors are going to come out, and we're going to receive the body and the blood of Christ together as a community of faith. Amen? Amen. Then we're going to stand and finish that song, and then I will send you on your way. Campuses, we love you guys. You are in great hands with your worship leaders and your campus pastor. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast and thanks for being a part of our church family.